Hi there, I'm Tom Schultz, host of Voices of Montana, an issue-oriented newsmaker radio program heard weekdays on 18 radio stations with 27 signals all across the Treasure State. Thanks for clicking on the podcast. Please subscribe and we'll do our best to keep you connected. We're also on Facebook at Voices of Montana and on the Internet at VoicesOfMontana.com, where I'd love to hear from you. Contact me at Tom at VoicesOfMontana.com. You know, across the country, there's a lot of parents pushing back against the sex sexualization of our kids. I think that's a fair way to put it. And and we see, I believe, some um, coordinated social agendizing of transgenderism in our in our schools. This is in our schools. Okay, this is not adults. This is minors. We're talking about. We're talking about gender dysphoria. It is a medical condition. It is a mental health issue. We'll talk about that. There's a case in Montana, though, that's making some national headlines. When the state of Montana seized custody of a minor, and we're going to have that child's stepmother on here to talk about that case as well. We're going to start off first with State Senator John Fuller to update us on this. Now, it's a new law, but it's been enjoined. Senate Bill 99, uh, that's really at the heart of this discussion here today on Voices of Montana. Senate Bill 99 uh, was passed in the last legislature, and it it, um, restricts some of those surgeries for uh, minors. So it does restrict some types of care that many feel is controversial and and over the top. A bit later on, we're going to talk with Krista Cummins uh, Colstead. She's the stepmother uh, of that Glasgow couple whose daughter was seized by the state, and they, they fear that she's going to be taken away from her and to a different state uh, for potential because uh, the daughter um, does suffer from gender dysphoria. And so uh, walking through all of that is so difficult, so emotional uh, for for the couple, obviously, and for the, all those involved there, but it's probably emotional for a lot of friends and family, and even for for us if we if we put ourselves in those shoes. Let's uh, let's waste no more time on that and get some background on Senate Bill ninety nine. It, it was um, enjoined, uh, meaning it was uh, prevented from going into full effect, and now it is before the Montana Supreme Court. There's some news uh, today or yesterday on that too. But let's first welcome from Senate District four. That's up in the Kalispell area, State Senator John. Fuller. Say hello. John, John, how you doing? Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning, and thank you for this, uh, bringing up this very important topic. Uh, full disclosure, uh, I spent uh, over 45 years uh, and, and survived uh, teaching high school students, and uh, I've been involved with uh, uh, young people as uh, a coach and teacher and counselor uh, ever since I got that return from the Vietnam back in uh, early 1970, after spending a couple of years in sunny Southeast Asia. So children have been, uh, uh, protecting children and helping them achieve their deem, uh, dreams has been uh, my life's work. And uh, I was elected to the legislature in 2019 uh, after retiring in 2009. I think enough of my students' parents uh, and students, former students decided I hadn't been punished enough and uh, elected me to the legislature. Uh, and uh, I introduced um, uh, in 2021 uh, a bill to prevent uh, the uh, chemical and physical and medical uh, alteration of children, uh, and uh, it failed. Uh, it failed. A lot of people thought, it, uh, did not realize, uh, I think, that I had, uh, uh, as I had ascertained, that it was the coming danger that it, that it is. And uh, so uh, 
I was uh, elected to the state senate in 2022, uh, and uh, then uh, in, so in the 23 legislature, I introduced the bill. It's a key bill. It became known as Senate Bill 99. And I had plenty of allies on this, uh, from the Montana Family Foundation to uh, Americans for Prosperity to uh, Alliance Defending Freedom uh, to, uh, um, uh, to the governor's office. Uh, and uh, the bill passed. It was amended a couple of times. And, of course, collective wisdom is always better than uh, than individual wisdom, yeah. uh, even if we claim we have sole access to the truth, as <laughs> do all 150 legislators. They all claim that, uh, but they don't. And uh, so the collective wisdom and the bill that came out and that was survived uh, it has been vetted. It has been researched. And uh, I think it is an excellent bill. And it distressed me uh, when a uh, solitary judge in Missoula enjoined it uh, before, just before, it, so it's slated to take effect. Now, you know, the, just a, a quick uh, sidebar, between the 2021 legislature and the 2023 legislature, more than 50 pieces of statute elected by the people's sovereign representatives, the sovereign people's representatives, that is, uh, are currently enjoined. Uh, what Democrats used to say was, when we had Democrat governors, you can pass that. You'll just we'll just veto it. Now they say you can pass that. We'll just sue. And uh, the uh, Senate Bill 99 was enjoined uh, uh, unilaterally by this Missoula judge, a very liberal judge. And uh, it's currently, of course, before uh, the Montana State Supreme Court. What does now, it what, what does it do, John? Um, it, okay, yeah. what it does is that for children, and children are defined by law as under the age of 18, which, of course, uh, is standard uh, definition of children. For children, it forbids and prohibits the uh, use of chemical uh, uh, puberty blockers and physical alteration of children in the name of so-called gender-affirming therapy. In other words, uh, children are not to be sterilized and uh, forced into uh, uh, lifelong uh, changing, uh, uh, life-changing experiences before they are a, an, an adult. And um, the, uh, the reality is, uh, and I spent 40 minutes one time with a professor of, uh, uh, of some kind uh, at the University of Montana who tried to convince me uh, that puberty blockers were reversible. Well, the data now is overwhelmingly that it is not. Yeah. That the da- uh, puberty blockers, uh, by definition, block puberty and have enormous consequences, lifelong uh, 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 results. Mm-hmm. Uh, that uh, And... Uh, we, we don't allow children to smoke marijuana. We don't allow children to take illegal uh, uh, substances that would uh, alter their perception of reality. We don't allow children to uh, engage in, uh, in uh, uh, sex before the, a certain age. And we don't allow children to be, place themselves in danger. Why should we allow children uh, or whoever uh, promotes the idea to sterilize them, which is in essence what what is the consequence. 
gender-affirming therapy results in sterilization. Sterilization of our children, for gosh sakes. Uh, why would we permit that? And so uh, the, uh, the bill, uh, after an uh, incredible struggle, and the five-hour testimony before the Senate Judiciary Committee, three-hour testimony before the House Judiciary Committee, uh, and, uh, uh, but it, it passed, and as far as I know, not a single Democrat voted for it, uh, but which tells you that they're not interested in helping children, uh, no matter what they may, how they may coach the, uh, uh, the, the phrases or uh, the argument. And so uh, that is the current status uh, of the, the bill. It is not law right now because it isn't enjoined. The real villains are uh, uh, the uh, unilateral judges', judges decisions out of Missoula. And, um, of course, any, uh, uh, any so-called medical authorities uh, that uh, claim that there is no harm coming from uh, so-called uh, uh, affirming therapy, uh, they, are, uh, they are just wrong. They are, they are morally wrong. They're medically wrong. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, uh, hopefully within uh, a short period of time, they will be legally wrong. State Senator John Fuller, again, Senate District 4 out of the Kalispell area, did serve in the U.S. Army, as he noted, then worked for a lot of years as a high school teacher and coaching wrestling and soccer and cross country. So a lot of experience with kids at that level. Uh, give us uh, an idea, John, um, uh, real quickly. I got one more question after this, and we're going to have Krista on here shortly, and I appreciate your time. Um, give us an idea of why this bill was enjoined. Well, the uh, the legal so-called legal argument that the judge made uh, was uh, that this bill uh, singles out a particular group of people, and therefore they are being deprived of equal treatment under the law. Okay. Well, uh, I'm sorry, we single out certain kinds of people all the time for various things, and in this particular case, uh, uh, I think it's clear that singling out uh, children that suffer from gender dysphoria, uh, uh, allowing them to be uh, physically mutilated, surgically amputated, healthy body parts, and uh, uh, engage in uh, practices that will lead to the need for medical intervention for the rest of their lives before they are an adult is just not only wrong, it's just completely destroys the concept of implied consent before any legal, uh, in any surgery. And, so, uh, and, and that's sort of, um, sort of the case here. Talk about how this bill, um, is sort of at the, at the foot of this controversy. I wouldn't want to call it the heart of this uh, controversy as we're going to talk next, uh, uh, with, with Krista Cummins Colstead. Uh, but, but, um, um, the bill itself, um, um, Talk more well, about, yeah, go ahead. The, you know, DPHSS and uh, governor have been uh, put under in, uh, severe criticism for allowing uh, the child to be uh, 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 taken away from its parental control. Uh, but the, uh, the uh, uh, reality is Senate Bill 99 is not the law, okay? It, it would have been the law if it hadn't been for the enjoyment uh, by this judge in so the the real villain is not DPHSS 
or the governor's office, uh, in my opinion. The real villain is uh, the judge in Missoula that rendered this decision and uh, the uh, medical authorities in uh, Glendive or wherever uh, or Billings uh, that claim that uh, uh, they need to do this, uh, uh, gender affirm this uh, poor child uh, in order to save her. Uh, I, I disagree, but uh, that's where the real villains are. I appreciate, um, you know, stepping out in this, and, and I know it's controversial and it's difficult as well, but I think, as you noted there, we're seeing real data come back about um, the ineffectiveness of this uh, gender-affirming therapy, um, and and I've, I've addressed that as well, how it's not a successful therapy for people suffering from gender dysphoria by any means, um, but yet it has become a favorite, and, and there are those who... Um, you know, would propose that it's because there's rapid onset gender dysphoria. Um, and, of course, there are those in the medical community who are pushing it because they find it to be profitable uh, in some ways. Um, well, go ahead. I can't speak to that because right. I don't know. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm just a simple country boy from northwest Montana who's masquerading as a state senator. But it strikes me as being absurd that you would treat a what is known to be a psychological condition with physical alterations. Yeah, for minors. That's going to solve the psychological prob, uh, situation of a minor. For kids as young and, as um, under six, under the age of six, they're uh, across yeah, the country in some areas. They're considering this. Right. right. And, and you could say, well, that isn't happening here or whatever. People do say that. But uh, this is Montana. We don't want that kind of thing happening here in Montana. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that, John. I, I appreciate that. State Senator John Fuller, once again, I know as this uh, bill moves forward and um, uh, and, and there'll probably, you know, there'll be things you might have to readdress in that next legislative session too. I, I look forward to that discussion because I think what we're, we're trying to do is a good thing. You're trying to do is a good thing, or we as a public in Montana to protect our children in a lot of ways, but still also um, offer uh, a, a medical therapy if that therapy is successful um and there's there's all kinds of restrictions on those things and there's no sense that we can't take a good hard look at this therapy as it's proposed and being utilized and asking if it works and if it doesn't um you know come up with a different plan thank you uh yeah i I know i I got on my soapbox there a little bit (laughs) apologies but well thank you for having me this morning and of course uh if anybody has any questions uh I'm uh, an open book. Uh, just go on the Montana legislative website and you can uh, find uh, ways to reach me by email or even phone. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, and I appreciate that. That's why I like our citizen legislatures, uh, legislators in Montana. Their numbers are right there in the book. Uh, contact them. Hey, uh, John, thanks again. I, I, well, let me let me just make one last thing. I yeah. used to uh, tell all of my students uh, that one of the great glories of Montana is that it doesn't matter who the elected official is. If you want to personally talk to them, you can do so. Yeah. And yeah. that is one of the glories of Montana. I hope we keep it that Yeah, way. I'm with you on that. Uh, thank you, John. I look forward to chatting with you down the road, too, okay? Thank you very much. Thank you again for having me. Appreciate State Senator John Fuller coming on, setting the stage a little bit as we talk now about how that bill, Senate Bill 99, is sort of, I'm not going to call it the heart of the matter, because the heart of the matter here is is parents, uh, a, a couple who are trying to raise their child um, to the best of their abilities. And, and uh, 
it's not always easy. There's there's controversy. There's conflict. There's a lot of things that we have to walk through. I think those of us who have been parents understand the complexities of, of all these situations. But I think I also hope that it's the case that um, if you are a parent, that your your heart um, is is fully engaged um, in the raising of your children and in the love and care and the nurturing of all of that. And and this is why this case, I think, rings true or rings um, hollow, depending on how you're going to view it, um, for a lot of people, uh, because of um, because it's it's dealing with our kids, and as we've talked about. The sexualization of our kids is ongoing here in our society, and there's been a, a, a big, big pushback on that. And I think it's been important. I think it is. I know it's important, and I hope it's been successful in some areas. Um, with that said, let's uh, let's welcome Krista Cummings Colstead, who's uh, from the uh, Glasgow area. She's the stepmother of a daughter who is uh, under state custody, suffering from uh, mental health issues, gender dysphoria, and a couple fears the state will remove her to another jurisdiction. Um, or for controversial transgender surgery. It's, a, it's one of the concerns that they have here. Um, and they have been advised, speaking out, there's a gag order uh, against them. Um, and that is being challenged as well because the state is talking about this. Everybody else um, who, who has authority over it um, are, are able to talk about it. But the parents involved, according to this judge, cannot talk about it. That does not seem fair at all. But uh, they're speaking out. And, and I appreciate the courage it takes to do that. Krista cummins Colstead. Good morning, Krista. How's it going? Good morning. I'm okay. How are you? I'm doing good. I can imagine what you guys are going through. And so I appreciate you coming on here. And I know um, this has been going on for for a year or more. Um, We've set this up quite a bit and I got like five minutes in this segment. I'm just going to hand it over to you to to tell us your story. um, And then then we'll pick uh, things up after that that next break. But uh, um, Tell us, tell us the story of your, your stepdaughter. Sure. So um, our stepdaughter, and we refer to her as Jennifer because it's not to use her real name. And um, so our stepdaughter, or my stepdaughter, uh, my husband's biological daughter, I met my husband Todd when she was about six, and then we married when she was seven. So I've been her primary mother figure since um, the age of seven. And so she's always kind of struggled with bullying and and things like that in school. We've always had her in counseling and been to the school many, many times. And we even, we moved from the Flathead Valley area over to Glasgow because we wanted to put her in a smaller environment and do what we thought was best for her because she's been picked on in the Flathead County area. So this has been ongoing problems with her mental health and, and us doing what we can as a family to meet her needs and to go forward with them. But on August 18th, um, our daughter was very, very angry with us. We had told her that school was starting the next week, and we wanted her to go ahead and quit her summer job and um, focus on being in ninth grade, starting high school, and kind of getting a fresh start to see what we could do for the school year. We did tell her that if she did well, that she could um, go back to work around the Christmas break and work one or two days a week if, she's, if she was doing well in school. And it's important to know that she's always been pretty much a straight-A student, very, very smart kid. Um, so on August 18th, like I said, she was very, very angry with us. And um, she had texted one of her friends and was saying things like she was going to kill herself and things like that. So at exactly 1.48, the police called me on my cell phone. And I spoke to them, and they said that, you know, your daughter's making these threats to another child And I stayed on the phone with the police officer. I walked down the hallway to where her room was, and I spoke to her while I was on the phone with the police officer. And 
I didn't feel, I let him know that I didn't feel that this was a legitimate threat. I felt like this was a behavior issue. She's known for some behavior issues like this, attention-seeking behavior. And I discussed with him that if I felt that she was in danger, I would gladly take her to the hospital and contact the police and let them know. So at that point, I got off the phone with a police officer, and we went about our day. You know, she was mad, typical mad teenager, kind of stomping around the house. But at the same time, she was, like, playing with the dog in the yard and doing things like that. So at 7.40 p.m. is when Children's Services showed up at our house because they said the police officer could not speak to the child directly or lay eyes on her, even though they hadn't asked us to do that. Like, Uh he hadn't asked to come over. He hadn't asked to speak to her on the phone. And... So at this point, you know, we're kind of taken aback and not really sure what do you do, how do you act, what are you supposed to do? And so right away we were 100% transparent because we felt like, well, we're not doing anything wrong. Our, our house is a great house. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. If anything, our child's too spoiled. And so we let, we let the CPS worker in. I gave her a tour of the entire house, showed her all the cabinets, you know, the food and how well stocked it was and things like that. And she said, okay, well, I have to speak to your daughter to make sure that she's okay. And we were like, okay. So at that point, her and our daughter went out on the front porch and were speaking. After about 10 minutes, I was starting to be like, wow, is this normal? Is this how people, is this how it's supposed to go when CPS comes to your house? And my husband and I went outside and we spoke to them. And she said that our daughter, Jennifer, had said at 3 p.m. that day, and by now it's like 10 after 8 p.m., So she said at 3 p.m., our daughter had drank toilet bowl cleaner and ingested probably about 30 ibuprofen in an attempt to end her life. And we knew that this wasn't true because I had been in the kitchen all day at my laptop at the kitchen table where the cleaner was and the ibuprofen. And plus, she was showing no signs of being ill at all. She wasn't lethargic. She wasn't sick. There was nothing wrong with her. But we agreed to be safe and go to the hospital. And that's kind of where our nightmare started. So once we get to the hospital... They did blood work, and they hooked her up to EKGs, you know, and monitor her. And they decided they were going to admit her just in case it was true. And we were like, okay. But that's when they started, um, she started saying she wanted to be called Leo and he, him. And that's when everything kind of kicked off and started, because the hospital started at that point referring to her as Leo and calling her the he, him pronouns and, and catering to that, even though we said this is against our beliefs, it's against our religious beliefs, it's against anything we believe in. We're not okay with this. You know, you, you no. like call her by her birth name and her, her pronouns that were, you know, are her birth pronouns. It, this, this was August 18th and mm-hmm. yep. And uh, so your daughter claimed to have um, taken some chemicals and 30 ibuprofen. There was no evidence of that. And that was not substantiated in the hospital visit, but nonetheless, um, just a matter of mere hours later, uh, child protective services came and, and assume custody of your daughter, right? Right. On August 18th, like I said, we had gone to the hospital and, and things had begun to transpire pretty quickly. So when someone um, has a suicide threat or threatens to take in their life, they go on automatically a 72-hour a hold where they're watched at the hospital and, and monitored, you know, just to make sure where they are, how are things going. And so we agreed to that and we were fine with that. However, we kept asking the hospital to please call her by her birth name, stop calling her Leo, stop using the he, him pronouns. And we were just disrespected the entire time. So there was an an aide that was placed outside of her room that watched her. And um, this aide began talking about top surgery and being non-binary and things like that. 
also, we had a huge issue with what was going on at the hospital. So that was a problem. There was another, there was a nurse that sat outside her room. And when I suggested to our daughter that she eat something healthy on her lunch tray, when it came, the nurse looked at me and kind of, you know, did one of those (sighs) sighs and rolled her eyes and yelled down the hallway, get this young man a banana split. And the aides were constantly referring to us or, you know, just the stepmom and, um, things like that. So we were constantly disrespected and undermined as her parents the entire time. So this was going on. And so we were telling the the hospital and the doctors that we were unhappy about it and CPS because CPS was around then. And they said, we have to monitor and see where this case goes. And we were like, okay, we're not doing anything wrong. So we don't care. Monitor whatever you want. So that was going on. We kept telling people how unhappy we were. And then on, I believe it was Saturday the 19th, I'd have to look in my timeline to check you know, they had said she needs to go to an acute psychiatric care facility for inpatient treatment to get her over this mental, mental health crisis. And we were, we were completely agreeing with that. We were like, okay, we were told that there were six facilities in the state of Montana. So again, we were fine with that. We did want her to stay in Montana. And, um, they did say, well, there's this one facility over in Wyoming. And, Right away, because of the way that we were being treated, my husband and I jumped on our cell phones and were looking at the laws in Wyoming if they matched the laws in Montana. And it looked to us like it didn't. At that point, we were under the impression that State Bill 99 was in place and we had some protection. So at this point, we were like, hey, you know, we have some questions about Wyoming. What's going to happen? How is she going to, first of all, how is she going to get there? What's expected when someone's an inpatient facility like that? Are you supposed to visit them? And how would we then plan our lives to go to Wyoming? How many times are you supposed to visit? You know, we were asking these kind of questions. Mm -hmm. We've never been in this position. And I'll never forget um, our CPS worker. Her name was Cindy. She said to us, um, well, Wyoming's a really, really not a possibility. And, you know, by all means, she'd probably be in Montana. So we'll all cross that bridge together when we come to it if we have to. And it was kind of dropped at that point and not brought up again. So we're like, okay. So then, you know, the continued disrespect of the hospital was going on. So on August 22nd, we were told when I left the hospital that she was next in line for a bed in Billings. So we were, okay, we were expecting a bed to come through in Billings in the next, you know, 12 to 24 hours. We weren't sure how long it would take, but we thought it'd be fairly quickly. But later on that night, it was about 7.30 in the evening. My husband and I had gone to dinner that night. And later on that night, um, we were at home and we got a call from the hospital and they said a bed had opened up in Wyoming and that she needed to go. And we were just shocked. We were taken aback. We, you know, we were asking questions like, well, what does that mean? What's this? We weren't even told the facility name. L- let me ask. Mean? The hospital mm-hmm. said she needed to go. Was this a medical directive or um, they were just well, still she- suggesting sign here so we can do this no well we know that she needed acute psychiatric care we weren't opposed to that but they they said you know the bed in wyoming had opened and she had to go we were like okay well why why can't she stay in montana you know earlier we were told there was a bed in montana coming open why can't we wait and the doctor said well she's not we're not doing her any good here she she has to go and i think i think the hospital is at the point where they were tired of us and tired of me particularly and they wanted her out of there. And and I understand that. Like, I was not, you know, I wasn't terrible, but I, I let them know my objections and how upset I was with her care. Good. So at that point, we were just like, okay, well, who can answer our questions? 
how is she going to get there? When does she have to go? You know, we were asking all kinds of questions that no one had answers for. But within 10 minutes of us getting off the call with that doctor from the hospital, Children's Services showed up at our house with a police officer on the night of August 22nd and served us with papers removing our daughter from our care. Now, the paper states that we were unwilling or unable to provide medical care for her, and that's that's not true. Yeah. We simply wanted to know what our rights were. We wanted to know who could answer our questions, who was in charge, you know, what anything about this facility so that we could research it, and why couldn't she stay in Montana? Because earlier we were told she was next in line for a bed in Montana. So it's not true that we were unwilling or unable to provide medical care for her. That's just, that's false. And so things transpired from there. The next day was August 23rd. And I don't know who, but somebody from the CPS agency transported her to Wyoming. Now, when they did leave, they said we couldn't see her or speak to her or anything, but yet they made all kinds of stops. Like they stopped at her summer job that she was leaving and let her talk to her friends there and visit with her friends. And, you know, and she was telling them how she's crazy and she's got to go to Wyoming and she was trying to kill herself. And this really bad judgment took place. And we were upset about that because, you know, have to remember, our daughter's only 14, and Glasgow is a very, very small area. So we were trying to protect her. What if when she's 18, 19, this episode's way behind her, and, she, you know, all this damage is done to her reputation? So they take her to Wyoming, and she spent a month in Wyoming. Now, while in Wyoming, the, the same continued. We were given very little information. The information we were given was, um, you know, they, she was going by the he, him pronouns. They were allowing her to live as a boy, giving her men's products and all of that stuff. And we were like, okay, you're socially transitioning our daughter and we're not okay with this. And we kept telling everybody that. And the response we got was that they have to do what's in the, meet the child where they are. So therapeutically, they're meeting her where she is, was um, kind of what we were told. And we're like, okay, we're still not okay with this. You can still refer to her by her birth name, call her a girl, and, and these things, and not, not transition her in this way. So she stayed at Wyoming for about a month, and then I believe it was September 25th, she was brought back to Montana and entered into Youth Dynamics um, group home. And there, the nightmare just continued. Um, again, they continued. They let her live as a boy, totally. No problem. Everything was man-related. She wore a chest binder. She was allowed to shave her head, so she had this, you know, very masculine haircut. Um, she went to a church, and to this day, we've never been told the name of the church. We've asked several times, well, what church is she going to? You know, is she going to the Church of Satan? Like, who, how do we know any of this stuff? And we've basically been told, well, you know, we're advocating for her to, to do what she wants and to live as she wants. And our position was, well, we're her parents. We need to be consulted, and she's only 14 years old. I don't know what you did at 14 years old, but I couldn't, I mean, I ate junk food all the time. I couldn't even be trusted to plan a menu for the day, let alone make decisions regarding my life choices at that point, you know? And that's kind of where we stood. We were like, we're still her parents. We have the right to parent her. And it was continued opposition from children's services uh, we were assigned public defenders, and we've pretty much had a monthly court meeting from September on, and we've discussed things like she has to stay in a group home setting, even, even though we don't agree with how she's being treated and the treatment she's being given, she has to have psychiatric care, and this is how they're doing it. 
so basically they've transitioned our daughter as a boy socially. She was allowed to, in her school program, she was allowed to go as Leo and present herself as a man and be in the all boys groups at school, even though we kept saying this is against our wishes. We don't want this. It's against our religion. It's against everything we believe in. But we've been told over and over again, well, you know, we're advocating for the child. We have to do what the child wants. So basically our rights is just even to be her parents have been stepped on and demolished. And at this point, you know, they, they've allowed her to socially transition. They've also showed her how to weaponize the system and use it to get what she wants. And so no one is treating her core, in my opinion, and my husband's, no one's treating the core problems, which are, why do you feel this way? Why do you feel so bad about yourself that you have to totally change your sex? You have to change everything about you. Why aren't we looking at those issues? Krista, you, you've gotten some good support, and I, I just want to say thanks to all those people who are praying for you and supporting in, in a lot of ways, too. we got now about three minutes. Go ahead and continue your story. Okay, so, you know, she was brought back to Montana. She was allowed to live as a boy, so that went on. And then as, as soon as January, every month we had a court meeting, to, and our public defenders told us, just keep your head down. You're going to get your daughter back at the end of this um, group home setting, and then you can raise her the way you want and go on with your life. So that's the information we were following. So on January 19th, we had a court hearing, and the state stepped in and gave custody of our daughter to her birth mother in Canada. So she's actually been deported to Canada. And um, she's in Canada where the laws are much, much different. You know, we have a parent there that agrees with the um, the gender dysphoria conclusion is willing to um, buy into that when we're not. And so we're really just at a standstill with the state of Montana and just so disappointed that this is the way that this has been handled. It's also our understanding that we're the first family in Montana this has happened to and that we're, we're the first ones to speak out about it. So as you said, I appreciate everyone's support. And my only goal now is to speak out and to help other families. This cannot keep happening. This is just, this is a disgrace. I mean, to our state of Montana, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous and just out there. And it's like I'm living somebody else's life right now. Uh, yeah, I, I can't imagine that. I, well, I can imagine it, but it seems like I can't imagine it as well. Um, I've noticed some things here. There, there's much more to this story than, than we can sort of tell. A lot of it's going to be behind documents that are in front of courts and, and things like that. Um, all I can say here, I got about a minute left, is, is um, I'm, I'm wishing you the best. Uh, and I think it's very important uh, that you do stand up for your daughter right now. She may not recognize it um, uh, you know, until later down the road, but what you guys are doing is very important. And I think that it will help heal that family uh, unit again. So that's what I'm praying for, Krista. Thank you. I appreciate that. And we appreciate everyone's support that's been behind us from the beginning. We absolutely appreciate it and hope for your continued support because this is a long, long battle that we're going to have to fight. I hope that, um, I, I know you've got um, a court ruling upcoming about, about a gag order and potentially getting that reversed. Um, is there is there any, and I don't have enough time, is there any other deadlines uh, coming up that we can note? We do. So we have an appeal to the Montana Supreme Court based on our First Amendment rights to um, get rid of the gag order altogether. So why is it that we have a gag order, but yet the state doesn't? Yeah. And, you know, little, things like that that are just coming down the pike and coming to light. And I think the state Supreme Court is actually, uh, it was on the docket for this week, so they may have a, 
Uh, they're going to hear it, and they may not release that ruling, but they may as well. So we'll look for that news. Krista Cummings-Colstead, um, thank you. Okay? Uh, keep believing, right? Keep believing. I will. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thanks again for joining us for the podcast. Please share and subscribe and let us know what you think. Email me at tom at voicesofmontana.com. And don't forget, we're on weekdays on your hometown radio stations all across Montana. We hope to hear from you there, too.